Let's take our Bibles this morning. We'll go to the book of 1 Samuel once again in chapter number 6. We're going to kind of walk our way through the narrative here as we've been accustomed to do in what's going on. Uh, If you remember, the Philistines in a battle against the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was that symbol uh, that God had given for His people, that symbol of His presence in their their lives and, and among them. But they viewed it more like a good luck charm, right? Just their, It was kind of their magic bullet. They thought, we'll bring it into battle and nobody can defeat us. But they learned otherwise. That wasn't the case. It wasn't the intended purpose of it. And so the Lord had allowed the Philistines to take the Ark of the Covenant. Well, then last week we talked about the fact that it was there in the land of the Philistines and it was causing problems for them, wasn't it? They were... Uh, their gods were falling down before the Ark of the Covenant and even had the, uh, Dagon had his head and his hands broken off. And, and, uh, and of course their solution wasn't, hey, maybe the God of Israel is better than our God. Uh, let's get rid of Dagon and we'll worship this God. That wasn't their solution. They said we need to uh, get the Ark of the Covenant out of here, right? It was creating problems for them. They were plagued with uh, emeralds, bleeding uh, tumors and... And as we'll see today, uh, apparently a plague of, of, of mice and rodents that were there. And so they're trying to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. We've got to get this out of here. So let's pick it up in verse number 1. It says, The Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. If you look under letter A there, if it had been with the Philistines for seven months and the Lord had been cursing them because of, uh, because of them holding the Ark of the Covenant, consider how long the torment went on for these people as they're dealing with these, these emeralds and, and the mice and all that that was coming because they had the Ark of the Covenant. Seven months they kept it in their land. And then, so what did they do? Verse 2, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, what shall we do to the Ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it uh, to his place. And so what did they decide to do? They met with their priests and their soothsayers and they're trying to figure out how they can return the ark back to Israel. Isn't it interesting that rather than repenting and turning to the Lord, they're just trying to get rid of it, just get it away from us. And, And that really is, I think, significant because we see people that do that today. Uh, they hear uh, preaching, they hear the word of God, they're confronted with it, they don't like what they hear, they feel that conviction that we all felt before salvation, right? That, that uh, internal awareness, something's not right between me and God. But rather than responding to that and saying that I need to repent and turn to God, what do people do? Get it away from me. I, I don't want anything to do with the truth, right? Just get it out of here. I want to continue in my own way. That's what they were really doing. So verse 3 And they said, if ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering. Then ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. So they said, we've got to get rid of this symbol of God's presence. And so they went to these pagan leaders and basically said, what what do we do? And so it was decided that the, the ark should be sent away with an offering. And so they, they decide that they need to uh, make this trespass offering. Perhaps then they would know why God was judging them. And isn't it interesting? They knew that God was judging them, but they thought if we could just 
give him an offering, then maybe uh, he, he won't be angry with us anymore. Um, isn't it amazing how many people think that way? You know, if, if, if God's mad at me about something, my sin, right? If God's mad at me about my sin, then what I'll do is I will offer to him and fill in the blank, whatever it might be. I'm going to give money to the church. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start showing kindness to other people. I'm going to be an upstanding citizen. Then God will be pleased with me and his anger will be removed. Now here's the interesting thing. My wife and I have had the opportunity to minister in a lot of foreign countries, many of them being third world countries. A lot of these third world countries have uh, a, a native religion <clears throat> among their tribal peoples and things. And those religions, they're all different. I mean, there's thousands of them. They've got their little different tenets. But they all come back to the same basic premise. The basic premise is our lives uh, are messed up. We're, we struggle with disease and death and um, with drought that keeps us from being able to grow crops. And we go through these seasons where our women aren't getting pregnant. Whatever the case is, their struggle might look a little bit different than yours and mine, but we all live in the same fallen world, don't we? And so here's their idea. All these, these religions boil down to one thing. Someone who is higher than us is angry with us. Be it the spirits, the ancestors, uh, whoever it is, some false god, whatever. But Someone who's higher than us is angry with us, and here's what we need to do. We're going to make offerings, or we're going to have these dances and these ceremonies and rituals to try to appease the gods, appease the spirits, so that instead of them being angry with us, they will bless us, and rain will fall on our lands, and our women will get pregnant, and so on and so forth. And this is a very common thing. What's amazing is when you go to these countries and you find that somewhere along the line Christianity, and I'll use that term very broadly, but Christianity entered the picture and their culture went from their pagan religion to this supposedly Christian culture uh, and, and religion, but really what you find is that all they've really done is taken what they ascribe to the gods and now they're ascribing that to God. And they have this idea, well, if, if God is angry with us, we need to make him an offering. We need to do something to appease him. And this is totally opposite, isn't it, of what the Bible says. Because the Bible actually teaches us that it's not our offerings that God is looking for. It's not our sacrifices. It's not anything we can do. It's not our good works that make us right with God, is it? It's simply the blood of his son, Jesus, that he paid for our sins. And all we have to do is simply turn to him and receive it. And uh, so anyway, this false religion, this false way of thinking goes back many, many years and generations. It's not a new thing, okay? Letter C there, the religious advisors gave suggestions for their offering. Look at verse number four. Then said they, what shall the trespass offering which we shall return to him? Or what shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and on all your lords. I want to just, a brief side note here, a couple of things. First of all, I think it would be fascinating to go back and figure out what these little images were that they made of gold. 
I mean, let's see, I've got some kind of a bleeding, oozing wound on my flesh. I know what God wants, an image of that, <laughs> you know. Let's take some gold and, and, and make it into that. Or, you know, something a little bit prettier, right? Little golden mice. I'm sorry, I don't like mice. I don't like rodents. Anyone who says, oh, they're, they're so cute. No, they're not. It's a rodent. They're a pest. They, they're disgusting and gross. Uh, anyone who wants to keep mice or rats as pets, I love you, but I do not understand you. And I have some questions if you're right in the head, okay? But we'll just leave it at that. I'm kidding, sort of. Um, but anyway, we're going to make these mice, these little golden mice and these golden emeralds, and we're going to send them along with the Ark of the Covenant. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize what they say here. At the end of the verse, verse 4, for one plague was on you all and on all your lords. Isn't it amazing how in our societies we have these social statuses and classes? But when it really all comes down to it, we're all in the same place before God, aren't we? I mean, when God sent the plague among the Philistines, it didn't just affect the, the peasants and the beggars of the people. It affected their kings. It, it affected everyone. They were all on the same playing field. And, and, and you would think that maybe they, that would have caused them to consider, wow, there's really none of us that's above anyone else. Uh, we all have need before God, but they somehow missed that. So verse 5, it says here, Wherefore ye shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods, and from off your land. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians, this is interesting, and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? So he's saying, hey, you know what, if you'll, if you'll do this to bring God's favor, then maybe he'll lighten his load, he'll... he'll He'll take his hand from off of you. But they recognized that this was a trespass, but they weren't willing to acknowledge or repent of their sin. And so what, what they did was they said, well, we're just going to send him this offering. But then they said, they made this statement that we need to be careful not to harden our hearts against him like the Egyptians did. These Philistines knew Israel's history. They knew that what God had done for them in bringing them out of Israel. They were aware of the ten plagues in Egypt and Pharaoh hardening his heart. Think about that. Wouldn't you look at, at, at Egypt and Pharaoh and see, okay, God's hand was heavy upon them because they refused to turn to him. And ultimately, what happened, they, they, every household lost the firstborn that was in that place, not a single Egyptian household was left untouched. People were dying, all because they rejected and resisted the God of Israel. Why then would the Philistines not say, you know, maybe we ought to turn to him? But they weren't willing to repent of their sin and turn to him. They just simply said, uh, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians hardened their hearts, number four there, and don't be like them. It's pretty sad when you think about it. So verse number 7, now therefore make a new cart 
and two milk kine, on which there hath come no yoke, and tie, and tie the kine to the cart, and bring their calves home from them, and take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the cart, and put the jewels of gold, which ye return him for a trespass offering, in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away that it may go. And see, if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that it happened to us. So here's what they suggested. You make this new cart, and you, uh, you yoke up these two cows, these two cows that are nursing calves, but you remove their calves from them, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to put this yoke on these two cows that have never had a yoke on them and tie the cart to them. And if they take it back to Israel, then that'll be proof positive that it was God that did this. It wasn't just some coincidence. Because, first of all, these cows taking a, a yoke upon them, uh, they wouldn't like that. You don't take... Two milk cows. I grew up around milk cows. Trust me. You, you don't want to mess with them, okay? <laughs> Ever. Just leave them alone. I hate, I hate milk cows. I love milk. Man, I hate milking cows. Have I ever told you that? I am so done milking cows. I miss agricultural life. If I never milk another cow in my life, I will die a happy, happy man, okay? Anyway, so these two milk cows, uh, they were to put a yoke on them. Cows wouldn't like that. Especially ones that weren't accustomed to it. Plus, what were you doing? You're taking these two mother cows and you're separating them from their calves. Uh, that's not going to go real well, right? So if those cows then take this new cart back to Israel, we know that, that was, it's God leading them to do that. Well, that's exactly what happened. And so to them, it was confirmation. Okay, God is the one. This isn't a coincidence. Uh, look, look at verse number 10. The men did so and took two milk kine and tied them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice uh, and the images of their emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. So here these, these cattle then, these kine as the Bible calls them there, they're taking this cart but they're lowing as they go. You ever, you ever hear a cow do that? They're calling, a lot of times they're calling for their calves. And that's probably what they were doing. They're calling for their calves. I remember one time I was out, uh, I was out deer hunting. And I'd been in the stand for a while, and this was in Texas. And in Texas, uh, a lot of places where you hunt, uh, they'll have several hundred acres that are fenced off, and they'll lease it for hunting, but they've also, they run cattle on it and things, so you've got to be careful uh, not to kill a calf thinking it's a deer or something. But anyway, uh, so I was there hunting one morning, sitting in the stand for a while, and I heard something moving through the brush, and I thought, okay, get ready, here it comes, you know. And pretty soon... I, I hear this cow, really loud, and right behind it was a little calf, like calling out, Mom, you know, I'm missing it. Anyway, it was a disappointing day hunting, but that, they'll do that. They'll talk to each other, 
And, and that, that's basically what's going on here. They're, these, these kind now, they're going back to Israel, pulling this new cart. They're calling for their calves, but they're not stopping. The Bible says that they didn't turn to the right hand or to the left. They went straight on a straight course. And this had to be the Lord doing that. Number six there, this would be a near impossibility. The cows would naturally be inclined to go to their home. They would not be accustomed to being yoked, and they would not want to leave their calves. But the way the cattle journeyed would indicate that if they took a straight route to Beth Shemesh, it would be a sign that God was leading, that he was the one behind uh, this uh, this plague that they had been facing. And that's exactly what happened. So the lords of the Philistines now ha have followed them, uh, letter F, uh, to Beth Shemesh. Verse 12, the kind took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the way, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the, uh, unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley... And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Imagine what that must have been like. For seven months, uh, Israel's been living with this reality, right? We, we've lost God's blessing. Our high priest and his sons were killed. The glory has departed from Israel. The ark of the covenant, the symbol of God's presence among us is missing. For seven months, they've been living with this reality, and then one day you're out in your field and you're working and you lift up your eyes and what do you see coming down the road but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And I, I mean, it wasn't carried by soldiers. This wasn't some kind of a Trojan horse where they were going to have to fight for it. It was just God bringing back the symbol of his presence to his people. How would that make you feel? It had to be, it says that they rejoiced when they saw it, right? It had to be an exciting thing for them to see that. And so what are they going to do? They're, they're going to welcome it. Verse number uh, thir uh, 14. And the cart uh, came into the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, and stood there where there was a great stone, and they clave the wood of the cart and offered the kine, all those poor cows, a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so they sacrificed these cattle to the Lord. They're rejoicing that God has brought the Ark of the Covenant back. And so the Philistines then uh, returned to Ekron, verse 15, or verse 16 tells us that. Uh, look at verse 17. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord. For Ashdod one, for Gaza one, for Ascalon one, for Gath one, for Ekron one. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fenced cities and of the country villages, uh, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite. So now you, you see what's taking place here. The Philistines have returned uh, home. The five emerods and the five mice were for the five lords over the five major cities of the Philistines. But then what happened? Verse 18, they had looked, uh, they, they had seen those, uh, uh, they had seen the images that were, were made, but look at verse number 19. And he smote, this is the Lord, smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. 
Even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. So now these Israelites, for some reason, they get this boneheaded idea. We're going to just open the Ark of the Covenant and see what's inside. I can't help but think it's because they had seen, well, the Philistines made us these golden images and put them in a coffer beside the Ark. I wonder what they put inside the Ark. You know, maybe they're seeing it like it's a big treasure chest now. And so they open the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Lord had specifically told them not to do that. If we took the time, we'd go to Numbers chapter 4 and see that the Lord said that they had no business uh, looking into the Ark of the Covenant. Well, they did. And so what happened? Well, God dealt with them, just like he dealt with the Philistines. 50,000 and 70 men were killed. Wow. I mean, we, we read that sometimes in the Bible. You read a number and you think, okay... And you move on. But think about that. How would that affect a community? How would that affect us if in Franklin County 50,000 people died? Or even in the state of Missouri? You know? I mean, th this, this had to shake them. Like, this is a big deal. This, we went from rejoicing now to mourning and, and just shaken to the core. But then I want you to notice what they did. Verse number 20, the men of Beth Shemesh said... Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of kerjath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. So again, their response to this was, Well, get the ark of the covenant out of here. There's a pattern here. Like, we're not recognizing the significance and... From the time they brought that Ark of the Covenant into battle, that shows that they didn't have proper respect for what God was trying to do. Then they lose it in the battle. They mourn over it. The Philistines take it. God curses them because they, they had no business having it. So they send it back. The men of Beth Shemesh then think, well, you know, I know it's a holy thing, but hey, let's see what's inside of it. And they're ignoring what God had told them to do. And when God judges them, rather than repenting, they say, get it out of here. Rather than saying, boy, it's our sin that brought this upon us. But so often we, we look at God as the problem instead of ourselves. Instead of acknowledging that really uh, we're the ones that need to conform to, to his standard. We're the ones that have a problem with him. And so... Number one, under letter F there, the, the, the Israelites thought that God's glory was departed because of the defeat at the hand of the Philistines, but their defeat was because of their sin. And then uh, we talked about some of these other things, but look at uh, letter G there. The men of Beth Shemesh were not sure what to do because they said, who can stand before the Lord, right? God is so holy, who can stand before him? Well... Do we know the answer to that question? Who can stand before the Lord? Hmm. Well, in one sense, no, none of us can in our own righteousness, can we? On, another, on the other hand, though, every one of us, anyone can, because we can receive his righteousness. And so they asked the question, but unfortunately they came to the wrong conclusion. They just sent the symbol of God's presence away from them. So some lessons or principles to consider here. The Philistines wanted to send the ark back and assume that, it was, that returning it with, with gifts 
would make things right. It's amazing what people will do to win God's favor except truly repent. It really is. It, it, it really is very simple what God desires of us. Is that we would just simply repent and believe Him. Trust. That's what He asks of us. We make it too complicated. The fact that God directed the cattle to take the straight path to Israel is a reminder of how God can make himself known. He did. He made himself known even to the Philistines, didn't he? And then letter C, I mentioned this. We, we know the answer in question 20, or in verse 20. The only way to stand before this holy God is through the grace and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can really be ready to stand before God is by receiving his gift of salvation. And, and I want to just highlight here for a moment, if I can, God's, God has not changed. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and then we read the New Testament and because we see things through the, that dispensational lens, we recognize that God's dealings in some ways are different with us today than they were uh, with Israel back thousands of years ago. But the reality is that God is the same. And God's requirement for them was no different than it is for us today. And really, human nature hasn't changed, has it? Uh, oh, sure, it might have a, a different look. I don't know of too many people uh, who go about making golden emeralds, thinking that it's going to make their life better, that God's going to bless them. But the truth is that a lot of people live that way with the same idea and mindset that if I just do this, then God will bless me. And I'll even hear people say, when they're facing some kind of a, a trial or a, a problem in their life, they'll say something like, why me? After all, I do this and this and th And they've got this mentality, this idea, if I do these things, God has to bless me. It's really no different. The reality is, folks, listen, God is God. God can do whatever he wants to do. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to come into his presence and meet with him and to be his people. But we don't do so on our terms. We do so on his terms. And his terms are repentance and faith. And that hasn't changed either. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And the same is true for us today. So anyway, some things to consider there. And then in our remaining moments, any, any thoughts on how ironic it might be that you get a couple of cows together that are totally untrained, that have no knowledge of direction or of pulling a cart or of wearing a yoke, how they could fulfill the will of God. Meanwhile, religious leaders couldn't. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that ironic? Sir. And that's, that's true. It's, the, the verse that comes to my mind is professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1. And, and, and how true is that? The more 
the more educated we become, the more we think that we know better than God. And yet, what is it in this world that just shows forth God more than, more than anything else? It's the simple things of the world. When you think about it, that the birds this morning, I was driving here just as the sun was starting to come up. It was still kind of that half dark, half light time of morning. And I was seeing birds that were kind of just waking up and starting to fly, you know, and they're flying up out of the grass and wherever else. And, and I was just thinking, you know, those birds, they don't know anything. I mean, they know nothing. They don't, what did Jesus say of them? They, uh, they don't gather food. They don't store it in barns. They don't plant. They don't harvest. God feeds them. They don't know any better. They're just little birds. And yet they'll sit on a tree limb or a telephone wire, and what do they do? Sing praise to God. Fulfill his will, right? I, I mean, it's just, it, because God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so often, the people that struggle the most to believe in God, to accept him, are people who are highly educated, and they just can't seem to wrap their mind around it. And they've come to believe, if I can't understand it, if I can't wrap my mind around it, then it must not be so. But folks, listen, God is so much bigger than us. And really, if you've got a God that you can fit in your own understanding, your God's not very big. And, uh, and so, really, it's, it's, it's ironic to me to watch the things, you know, what, what did God use to, to, re, to rebuke Balaam when he went to curse the Israelites? Oh, he used his donkey. You know, <laughs> here's the, this prophet, this wise prophet, sought after by kings. And it's his donkey that says, nope, you're out of God's will. <laughs> Just fascinating to me. But what does it say about the the Philistines that when they witnessed the amazing journey of the cattle, yet they did not seek the Lord? And this is, again, it's been kind of the recurring theme in the lesson today, but but the fact of the matter is that we'll do whatever we can to explain away what we don't want to believe. And uh, that's what a lot of people are doing. And the, the reality is we have to be careful about that too, don't we? We need to come to God with an open mind and an open heart and let him reveal himself to us and accept what he shows us about himself as opposed to trying to make something of our own imagination. And then lastly, how do you think it would affect us if we would keep in our minds at all times just how holy God really is? I want to read verse 20 to you again. The men of Beth Shemesh said... Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? Uh, who, who is there that is able to stand before God? And we know the answer to that question. But how do you think it would change us? How do you think it would affect us if we would always keep at the forefront of our minds the holiness of God, the, the power of this holy God? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 I agree completely. I, I, I mean, I really do. I think... We've become too comfortable 
before the Lord. And I, I think there, there's a couple of things. Sometimes the theology that we find in the Bible that is to be reassuring and helpful to us, sometimes we take it as an excuse. So I'll give you an example. We understand the Bible teaches eternal security, right? Once we're saved, we're always saved. We're kept by the power of God. But that doesn't give us a license to sin, does it? It, do, it doesn't mean that we ought to go about our lives continuing in sin, that grace may abound, right? The Bible says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? But sometimes we get comfortable, like, well, you know, I sin, but eh, it's okay because I'm, I'm covered. No, that's, we're, we're too casual about that. But when it comes to God, how, how you know, we, we understand that because of the blood of Christ, we can come boldly under the throne of grace. But folks, I want to tell you, I think there's some danger in the way that we sometimes approach God. Um, God said, I will not hold him guiltless who taketh, who, who taketh my name in vain, right? That's one of the commandments, that we're not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And I understand that for most Christians, that means, well, we're not going to use God's name as a curse word. And that's, I mean, that's a given, right? But how often do we take his name in vain just treat it lightly. How often do we pray to God? And honestly, I've had to confess this before the Lord. When I, when I sit down to pray before a meal, and I go through that ritual that I do several times a day, am I remembering that I'm actually coming before the throne of Almighty God? Or am I treating it vainly? You know... And, and by God's grace, I try not to make jokes that include God in them. I, I think that's just, he's, he's above that. I, I've heard jokes, they're clean, they're not necessarily bringing God into it, like making fun of or mocking God, but I think it's just a blasphemous thing to bring God down to a level where we use him as part of our humor. I mean, I just think there's a lot of things that we can do that if we're not careful, we're actually bringing, we're, we're treating the name of the Lord lightly. We're, we're treating him vainly. Yes, ma'am. Romans 6.15. Mm-hmm. So, trying to think here, Romans 6.15. We got a minute to get there. Um, I can't quote it. Forgive me. I don't have it off the top of my head. <clears throat> it says, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Yeah, that's, and that's cer certainly true. We don't want to uh, just continue in sin because we know that we're saved because we're under grace, right? We're, we're to be aware and live to, to, in a biblical sense in fear of God. Not afraid of him, but with that reverence, with that, uh, with that awareness uh, that, that I am coming before the Lord. And that matters. It matters. And so I think there's something to that, that, if, that, that we ought to always keep in our mind the holiness of our God. I think it would help us.